Welcome to the Israel Daily News Podcast. I'm your host, Shanna Fold, and I'm here to get you caught up quickly. I've got some top news stories for you today from Israel. And guess what? You're listening. So you're already on top of your game. Survive and thrive, people. Knowledge is the best weapon. Today is Friday, November 24th. 2023 in the Gregorian calendar and the 11th of Kislev, 5784 in the Hebrew calendar. Today, I broadcast to you from New York City with very good news for Israelis. Now, let's get to the news. Huge news today. All 13 hostages that were set to be released in phase one of the 50-person hostage release are now in Israeli authority hands. They were driven to the Red Cross at the Egyptian Rafah border crossing between Egypt and Gaza and put into the hands of the Red Cross, and then the Red Cross transferred them to Israeli custody. The individuals were apparently given their cell phones back in order to be able to phone their families. Israel's government press office sent out a note to journalists saying the 13 hostages underwent a preliminary medical examination once in Israel and their families were updated by the responsible parties that they had been returned. In addition to the 13 that I am going to list, 11 foreign nationals were also released in a separate deal. All of the individuals I'm going to list are from the kibbutz community of Nir Oz, except for one who comes from kibbutz Nir Im. Her name is Hannah Perry. She is one of five people that were captured on October 7th from that kibbutz Nir Im. Perry is now 79 years old. She immigrated to Israel from South Africa in the 1960s and has lived in Nir Im ever since. Perry worked at the kibbutz grocery store. One of her three children was killed in the attack on October 7th, and one was kidnapped into Gaza. She is still believed to be a captive there. From my understanding, many or almost all of the released captives still have family members in Gaza under Hamas. That is probably not a coincidence. Of course, it's easy to control somebody when they have an interest, i.e. their family members that are still in Gaza. And we've seen that in the past when people came out of Gaza, but they still had family members that were in Gaza. Of course, they told the cameras that they were treated very well while in Hamas custody, knowing full well that their significant others were still under Hamas bars. No American citizens have been released. I also understand that so many of the drivers and people that were a part of this operation to retrieve the Israeli hostages are women, women controlling the wheels and the sticks of the jets that were employed to bring people. They said that was intentional. They wanted people to be released into the hands of women instead of into the hands of men. And as I always say, the future is female. The list of citizens who have been returned to Israel include the Asher family. That includes Daron Katz Asher, who's 34, Raz Asher, who's four, Aviv Asher, who is two years old. The Aloni family 
got back Danielle Aloni, 45, and Amelia Aloni, aged 5. The Munder family got Ruth Munder, 78, Karen Munder, 54, Ohad Munder, 9 years old. In addition to these families, the Israeli people got Adina Moshe, 72, Hannah Katsir, 76, Margalit Moses, 77, Hannah Perry, 79, whom we just referenced, and Yaffa Adar, 85 years old. One of the hostages who was returned today includes Gelenior, also called Jimmy Pacheco. He's a 33-year-old caretaker for an elderly man named Amitai Ben Svi, who was murdered by Hamas on kibbutz near Oz, and he was taken hostage. Community members of near Oz gathered to welcome Jimmy back to Israel. Jimmy comes from the Philippines. And 10 other nationals, Thai nationals, were returned during a hostage deal that was controlled at the sides as well by the Egyptian and Thai and apparently Malaysian and Israeli authorities as well. The Ben Svi family says they are excited about Jimmy's release and will work to reunify him with his family. That's actually an interesting comment that I made right there, working to reunify him with his family. I just want to say so much of these operations have been grassroots. So much of what's going on in the gra- on the ground in Israel is grassroots. So many people have come together to get food prepared for the soldiers. People are coming together to make art installations. There's been so much on the ground, Israeli and Jewish involvement and Christian involvement from around the entire globe. And that has been really eye-opening to see how so many individuals have put their heart into this operation at large. In exchange for the 13 Israeli hostages, Israel will release some 39 Palestinian individuals who have been held in Israeli prisons. They were all charged with a range of offenses, some of them accused, some of them charged, from throwing stones to attempted murder and everything in between. Some were convicted and others are awaiting their trials. The group includes 24 women and 15 teenage boys. Israel's prison service says that these 39 individuals will be allowed to return back directly to their homes, meaning that they're taken out of Israeli prisons and being sent right back into the comfort of their homes. The Palestinian detainees released were chosen from a list of 300 women and minors that are in Israeli jails for a range of terror offenses. About a quarter of these individuals have been convicted, while the rest are on remand awaiting trial. 40% are under 18 years old and were taken into Israeli custody for a variety of attempted terror attacks. One of the freed prisoners includes a teenage girl, and there are 32 other women that were a part of this hostage-slash-prisoner swap. I'm going to head over to Haaretz. Of course, I'm going through all of the media and I'm pulling out what I think is relevant for you. Haaretz reports that while the first group of captives were released, and I'm going to quote them for the rest of it, they say in an analysis, 
Quote, it's necessary to constantly bear in mind the identity of the dubious partner in this deal, namely Hamas leader in the Gaza Strip, Yahya Sinwar, whose promises are difficult to trust. It's perfectly obvious he has two goals in the negotiations, extending the ceasefire in the hope that the fighting will not be resumed and inflicting maximum psychological abuse on the Israeli public. Now I'm going to head over to protocols for retrieving hostages, which was a great piece from the Times of Israel. They have a report about what is supposed to happen with hostages after their release. Here's a summary of it. The health ministry has outlined strict protocols for the treatment of hostages released from captivity in Gaza. After being handed over to the IDF by the Red Cross, hostages will be sent to six Israeli hospitals, including Soroka Medical Center, Sheba Medical Center, and Ichalov Hospital. Mothers and children will not be separated, and close family members will be notified of their loved ones' transfers. The media will not have initial access to the hostages and their families in order to allow for privacy and recovery. Keep in mind that this is already happening in Israel. All of these processes, we've seen the footage of the helicopters flying people to Israeli hospitals from Egypt. Medical files on each hostage compiled from health organizations will be provided, and medical staff will arrange for necessary medications and devices that these people might need. Keep in mind, a handful of these people are elderly. The IDF has been instructed to ensure the best care for released hostages before they reach hospitals, assigning a single soldier to accompany each child or family. The health ministry has provided detailed protocols for nutrition in an effort to prevent refeeding syndrome, which is where a person eats too much after having been starved. Experts instructed physicians to document signs of torture, rape, or war crimes. Social workers, psychologists, or psychiatrists will be assigned to assess and treat the hostages and their families. Continuity of care is being emphasized with mental health professionals supporting families since the beginning and continuing to be involved all the way through in order that there should be some continuity. The hostages are encouraged to leave the hospital as soon as they are medically stable and able to in an effort to begin their recovery amongst their beloved family members and community members. Thousands of Gazans are attempting to return to their homes near Gaza's border with Egypt, which is challenging the IDF's campaign after the truce with Hamas began. Hamas is encouraging civilians to go back to the war zone, while the IDF is dropping flyers and using riot dispersal measures in order to prevent the flow of people going north. Two Palestinians were reportedly killed by Israeli troops as they headed toward the main combat zone, despite the IDF had been warning not to enter that area. The IDF vows to prevent Gazans from returning to the north during this moment of pause because it will cause a complex challenge when the fighting is set to resume after the four-day pause. Keep in mind, there's a four-day pause in order to bring the hostages home from Gaza. There's going to be a four-day ceasefire in which Hamas is not supposed to be firing and Israel is, Israel is not supposed to be firing against Gaza. And the idea there is for there to be safe passage of the hostages to get out. 
But Israel plans on picking things up after the international community does not want to see that happen. However, President Joe Biden of the United States made it pretty clear today during a talk that the goal is for Israel to eliminate Hamas and that they will not be stopped in that objective and that he supports that. So that was pretty clear during a talk that he made around 10 minutes in length today to the American and global public. I want to thank all of you for your interest in Israeli affairs, Israeli politics, our world politics. I also want to thank all of you who personally finance and fund the Israel Daily News podcast with monthly contributions. You can support us with monthly contributions by heading over to anchor.fm backslash Israel Daily News. You can contribute whatever feels good to you. Thank you to Julie Siebenberg for her latest contribution and for becoming a monthly subscriber to the Israel Daily News podcast and pledging her support. Thank you, Julie, for your monthly support of the Israel Daily News Listener support is quite literally what helps me continue down the road of independent journalism. And I want to thank you for allowing me to do the work in the way that I think the work needs to be done. And more than anything, thank you to all of you for your words of affirmation. It gets me into my recording chair each day. To make a one-time contribution to my fund of special wartime coverage, which I take very seriously, you can just type in Shanna Fold and go to GoFundMe. You can put GoFundMe Shanna Fold into Google. You'll find that right away. A big thank you goes out to Benjamin Michael, who donated to our GoFundMe campaign. He actually wrote this beautiful thing on the GoFundMe page. It says, I wanted to find answers. Shanna's words and work brought hope within, and now I stand with her and Israel. Trust isn't easy today, and I've hardly ever donated. I believe in Shanna and her work. I believe in who she is within And in today's times, we are lucky to have her. Stay strong, Shanna. Thank you for shining the light when things seem dark. Well, thank you so much, Benjamin Michael, not only for your contribution, but also for your words. I also want to give a big thank you to Della Wilson, who also donated to our GoFundMe campaign for special wartime coverage in which I am working all kinds of crazy hours, early mornings, late nights, weekends, unlike anything that I've ever done before to stay abreast to what going on, but also not to give you immediate, immediate updates. I always like to give it the proper time and attention and bring you the news once things are confirmed so that I don't have to put my reporting at risk for credibility. And I appreciate everybody who sees that. You can also support us by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can share the show with a friend. And three, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at IsraelDaily.News as well as Shanna Fold. That's my personal Instagram. My name is Shanna Fold, S-H-A-N-N-A-F-U-L-D. My name has two N's in it, and I'm very sensitive about that. You can also find us on Twitter at Israel Podcast. Now we're going to hear from Chama Mechtali. She's a versatile policy advisor, entrepreneur, activist, and artist who's known for her interdisciplinary approach to peace building and regional integration in MENA, that's Middle East and North Africa. She's currently a WIN Fellow at the Atlantic Council, a convener at Israel Policy Forum, and a 40 Under 40 awardee of Middle East Polity 
policy and counsel. She's going to explain to us how despite she is all for peace and peace building, she actually thinks that there is a big effort not to have a ceasefire, not to buckle to international pressure, and for Israel to resume its war after this four-day pause to get the 50 hostages back that was promised by Hamas during a negotiation, but that after these four days, Israel should not heed the cries of the international community to have a ceasefire. Let's hear from her as to why she stands by this. I have worked on Muslim-Jewish dialogue and Israeli-Arab relations throughout my life, but I fundamentally believe that ending this war prematurely would simply derail the dream of sustainable peace and a two-state solution even further. I think that most people calling for a ceasefire in desperation today are doing so because it's emotionally difficult to see civilian lives jeopardized or sacrificed in this atrocious war, and I understand that. However, what most people miss is that this is no longer a binary war between Israel and Palestinians, or between Israel and the Arab world, or between the West and the East. In fact, the Abraham Accords marked the beginning of the end of the Arab layer in the Arab-Israeli conflict. One challenge to regional integration remained, however, and that was the Islamist, Iranian and Qatari-sponsored extremism outside of Israel and Jewish extremism inside Israel. People need to understand that this is a multilateral proxy war between the extremist axis and the moderate axis of power in the Middle East and North Africa region. The truth is, Gulf countries like Saudi, the UAE and Bahrain tried to fight this Islamist threat for more than a decade. Shortly after the Arab Spring showed them how dangerous and extremely capable Islamist organizations are. But they did not benefit from American support to effectively weed it out. Israel, however, with the military backing of the U.S., can rid the region of these threats and the war for stability, safety and prosperity in the region for everyone, including Palestinians, won't even be an option on the table unless the terrorist radicals of Hamas, Hezbollah and the Houthis are neutralized or deterred. Also, only if the war against Hamas is won can Israel rise beyond an embarrassing security failure that almost cost Saudi and the UAE billions of dollars invested in a path towards a more integrated and stable Middle East. And so, unfortunately, Israel and the US have no other choice but to continue this war, and I hope this pause can help Palestinian civilians on the ground, and that the ceasefire deal will also be honored until the end, which is debatable since ceasefires in general break often, but especially in the context of Hamas having broken multiple ones and multiple ceasefire agreements in the past. Well, what did you think about that? Let me know if it challenged any of your current ideas. I'd love to hear. And now I'm going to send us into a Torah thought from Rabbi Yossi Madvig of Oswego, New York. In addition to this Thursday being Thanksgiving in America, it's also a very important day on the Jewish calendar, and specifically the Chabad calendar. That is the 10th of Kislev, which is the release from prison of the Mitla Rebbe, the second Chabad Rebbe. And he was put in jail because he cared about the economic well-being of the Jewish people. How does that work? He was raising money to send to Jews in Israel. And a letter of his was 
altered in order to make it look like he was raising huge amounts of money, which he was raising a good amount, but not as much as the letter said. And since Israel was controlled by the Turks, who were enemies of Russia, they slandered him to the government, saying he's raising money for the Turkish government to make a rebellion against, against the Tsar. And so he was imprisoned for about five weeks, and they realized that the charges were not uh, all they were cracked up to be. And after five weeks, he was finally released from prison, and that was on the 10th of Kislev. And so it's a very big holiday in the Chabad community. And in order to celebrate, one of the ways that we celebrate, aside from having uh, Fabrengen's, you know, Hasidic gatherings to inspire each other, but we also learn. So what is learning Hasidus? What is learning Hasidic philosophy? So there's basically three kinds of uh, philosophical ways of learning in Judaism. You have what's called Musr, which focuses on nullifying the material world and by indicating the repulsive and abhorrent nature that's in the body and the material world. Then you have what's called Chakira, philosophy, and that focuses on the inner form, the spiritual character trait, intellectualism, and how you can come closer to God by attaining those traits. And then you have Hasidic philosophy. Hasidic philosophy is a school that teaches the unique quality of the material when it is purified and integrated with the spiritual. The spiritual and the material should be so fused that you can't detect where one begins and the other ends. Because God created them both. And for one purpose, to reveal the light of holiness in the world. And so only both of them together can complete the perfection that's desired by the Creator. So, in order to celebrate, doesn't have to be on this day, in subsequent days also, try and learn a little, a little Hasidic philosophy, try and get in touch with the spiritual, fused with the material, in order to reveal the godliness that's latent within creation. Shabbat Shalom. We always love the Torah thought from Rabbi Yossi Madvig of Oswego, New York. I hope that you liked that too. I hope it was a good message for you to hear as you enter your weekend. All right. Well, that is it for today's show. Today is Friday, November 24th, 2023. Tel Aviv has a low of 16 degrees Celsius and a high of 24 degrees. That's 61 degrees Fahrenheit for the low, going up to 76 degrees for the high. Subscribe to the Israel Daily News Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're hearing it from. We are everywhere. Don't forget to sign up to our Israel Weekly News Wrap. This is a newsletter that comes out with the top five stories from Israel that I think that you might have missed from throughout the week. That comes out on Sunday evenings. I put a personal note at the top where I often will tell you about all of the other work that I'm doing, all the pieces I'm publishing. For example, last weekend I had a big spread about all of the immigrant faces that are dealing with the international media for Israel's defense for meaning people that are Israeli citizens but were born and raised in countries around the world and how they've come together to fight for Israel and doing it uh, through media. So I wrote about that. I'm often writing and publishing. If you want to see those works, you might want to sign up to the Israel Weekly News Wrap. You can head over to israeldaily.news and just put your email in there to get that for free. A big thank you goes out to our social media director, Michelle Milner. And now I'll send you off with Hatikva by Ariella Zaitlin. She's a great, fantastic female violinist. 
And I hope that this song gives you some strength. Have a great and productive day and an excellent weekend. Shabbat shalom, everyone. <laughs>